Good evening. If you'll look at the title of tonight's uh, talk, it's The Witness of Submission. Uh, I bristle when I hear the word submission. Um, I thought about why I'm so uncomfortable, uh, and maybe you're something like me, but why I bristle and have some uncomfortability when I hear that word submission. I think there's a couple factors outside of me and some factors inside of me, uh, some, some nurture and some nature within me. As far as nurture, I, I, uh, I'm American. And Americans, we don't celebrate on July 4th, right, Dependence Day. We celebrate Independence Day. We're about freedom and fireworks and setting things on fire. And there's that neighbor who wears the American flag shorts. And we're all about independence, freedom. It's in our story, our narrative about revolt against the authorities. Uh, even spiritually speaking, my uh, conviction of faith, my uh, heritage of faith, my uh, community of faith is Protestant. And Protestantism, that key word there is protest. In the 1500s, Martin Luther nailed 95 critiques against the door of the institution at the time. And even spiritually, there's this sense of uh, revolt and not one of submission. I think even uh, the, the nature within me, uh, I'm a sinner. I just don't like being told what to do. So you put it together, I'm an American Protestant sinner. And so submission is not gonna come quickly or naturally. It's not gonna be my first choice. But I'm a Christian. And that means at some point I had to recognize I am a creature under the authority of a creator. And my problem is I've rebelled and sinned against him. Yet his son Jesus saved me. And beyond my savior, he is my Lord that I now want to submit to. And so we've seen so far in this book of 1 Peter, the first night that Peter writes to elected exiles now spread across a wide region. And we saw how their salvation, the salvation of Christians is secure. And so since it's secure, we learn that we set our hopes and our focus on holiness. And our identity is wrapped up in that holiness of being set apart for God, as we heard Lincoln describe this morning. And I heard so many amens and saw furious writing as Lincoln described that we are set apart to live differently than the world that watches us. And where Peter goes next as he talks about the practicalities of living differently is Christians live a life of submission. And that's what we'll look at tonight in tonight's passage. If you turn to page 16 and 17 in your packet, that's where we'll be. And I'll read for us, 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 13, going through chapter 3, verse 7, if you'll follow with me. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 
For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may even be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. We wanna see first the Christ that we have and we wanna see after that the, the calling that we have. And that really frames your outline that we have this morning. And we'll finally look at the end at, at the wounds that he has. But I want you to see, if you see those three paragraphs each start with that, that frightening phrase, be subject, be subject, be subject. Do you guys see it in verse 13? And verse 18 again, it says be subject. And then look down again at chapter three, verse one, be subject. And so if you wanna zero your eyes in, and this is where I get my outline from, if you wanna look closely, zoom in on verse 21. Find verse 21 if you would. It says this, for to this you have been called. And I would ask, what is the this? What, what is the calling? And it is those three paragraphs about subjection or submission. He's saying, this is your calling, subjection, submission. And then see that word in verse 21, what comes after the comma? says, because, because Christ also suffered for you. And we won't understand our calling to submit unless we first understand that it's grounded and rooted in the Christ who submitted. And if we understand Christ in his submission, we understand our calling to submit. So we wanna first look at the Christ we have, the Christ we have, and we're gonna see it in two ways, an example for us to follow and he's a substitute so we can live. First, if you, if you turn your eyes to uh, verse 23, see it there, it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges 
justly. That verse when shows up twice. When are we talking about? Peter first mentions for us Jesus reviling. Jesus suffering, and he's going right to the pinnacle of history, the cross of Christ, and, and, and brings to mind for us his, his audience, his listeners, his readers. He says, remember when Christ was betrayed by a kiss. Remember when he was cuffed behind his back and arrested and led away. Remember when the religious institution accused him of blasphemy and handed him over to the local governor, the Roman authority. There he was beaten and stripped and spat upon, and a crown of thorns was twisted and pressed into his head, and he was sentenced, and he was crucified and tortured and ultimately killed. Peter brings up this about our Christ and then reflects to us that when that happened, Christ didn't retaliate. He didn't talk back, he didn't beat back or mock back. He didn't threaten or revile in return. And Peter, in order to show us this, he actually brings out the scriptures, the Old Testament, to bring to mind the meaning of Christ's suffering in his innocence, the meaning of Christ's unjust suffering and how Christ responded to it. And to do that, he brings to mind an Old Testament passage, maybe to you some of it, it maybe a more famous passage of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. I have some verses there uh, from it. They're printed in your packet. Let me read for you what Peter is mentioning. Mentions Isaiah 53. says this, verses 5 and 7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. God's people were always described as God's suffering servants. And when Jesus comes along, he lives this out and fulfills this in the most startling way that Jesus here is now God's suffering servant. That is who Jesus is described as. And Peter makes mention of this. Peter is representing Jesus as a righteous person while suffering unjustly. Notice how he does it in verse 22, if you'll draw your eyes there. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit, found in his mouth, meaning Jesus being led up to to suffering this crucifixion and this torturous death, he committed no sin before it, meaning that the suffering he's about to go through is unjust suffering. Jesus would have been a sinner, you might think, well, he's getting what he deserves, but he wasn't a sinner, so he's not getting what he deserves. Beyond uh, being sinless leading up to his suffering, uh, Peter's describing verse 23, if you'll notice that. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten in return. Jesus remains righteous during his suffering. And as he's suffering, he's submitting to and subjected to a corrupt religious system, an unjust Roman government. 
And Peter also beyond that, showing us the righteousness of Christ while suffering unjustly, shows us how Christ did this, how he accomplished this. Now you might look at this and say, well, of course he suffered perfectly. Of course he endured unjust torture perfectly. He's God. That's not the reason Peter gives for why he did this righteously. Because Peter's telling us we can follow in Jesus' example. And I don't know about you, but I am not perfect. If I follow in a perfect one's example, I'm going to follow. But Jesus is doing something here in a human way that Peter is saying you and I can participate in as well. What's the reason Peter gives us? Do you see it in verse 23? The end of 23 Here's how Jesus was able to accomplish remaining self-controlled, remaining righteous in, in suffering. At the end of 23, if you'll notice, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is not flexing here the fact that he's God the Son. Instead, he's entrusting himself to God the Father. And you and I can follow that example as well. But more than an example... Christ is never less than our example, but he's more than our example. He is a substitute so that we can live. Do you notice what Peter says in verse 24? He's again drawing this from the suffering servant portion of Isaiah 53. Verse 24, do you see it there? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Christ is bearing our sins in our place. And actually this is the power and the force behind, it's the motivation behind you and I following Jesus' example. And here's what I mean. There, there is beauty and there is power and motivation and force when you see Jesus not just as your example, but as a substitute who gave himself for you. That motivates us to follow his example. And here's how. It's one thing to notice person A striving and straining and suffering to help person B out of a pit. Person A might walk up to you then and say, do you see what I just did and help that person? Yeah. Go and, and follow my example. Help others. I say, okay, I guess I saw what he did. And if there's someone who needs help, I guess I'll help them. That motivation to follow that example only goes so far, it probably won't last. But when you realize you are person B, you were in the pit and person A strained and was striving and suffering to help you out of a place where you could not help yourself and you are finally brought to rescue, stand on your own two feet because someone else uh, subjected themselves to what they needed to do to help you and rescue you. And then they say to you, follow my example. And just as you have been helped, go help other people. Now you are more motivated to follow that example because that rescue has been vivid to you. This is what Peter is doing. He's saying Jesus in his subjection and submission isn't just our example to follow, but he's more than that. He's, he's, a, he's a substitute who bore our sins, who bore our iniquities and he's rescued you. And he wasn't just merely helping other people, he has helped and rescued you. Friends, this is a gracious thing. This is a precious thing. This is a beautiful thing that the God of the universe, the freest of all beings, the highest of all beings would subject himself to suffering, would submit himself to authorities. 
not just as our example, so that you and I can possibly live, came through his submission and his subjection to torture and to death. It's a beautiful and it's a stunning thing. It is all about grace, undeserved kindness from God that he would stoop to this level. And friends, I want you to see at the close of this point of Christ, the Christ that you and I have, I want you to see the stunning results of his suffering. Do you see the results of his submission? Let me tease these out for you. Look again at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and right next is the results of this submission. Do you see it? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Another result of his subjection and his submission is in 24 again. The next phrase, by his wounds, you and I have been healed. And even a third result in verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Friends, to put it this way, if Jesus doesn't suffer, we don't live. If Jesus doesn't submit, you and I aren't healed. And if Jesus didn't subject himself, you and I do not meet God. The results of Jesus' submission and subjection is that you and I can know God and meet God and live. And just as the same Christ who commissioned us to go make disciples, that great commission, right? You know how Jesus won disciples? Not by great commission, but by great submission. By Jesus' submission, look at how he has transformed the world. These are the stunning global historical results of a man who submitted. And friends, that is the Christ that we have. And Peter now goes into the calling that you and I have in our lives to submit. But first, before he did it, he had to show us the Christ we have. And now that is the gravitational center of submission and subjection. And now our calling to submit orbits around that gravitational center of Christ. And our calling that we have to submit is threefold. And we see it in three ways. It's there on your outline. A submission to human authorities, an endurance of unjust suffering, and third, honor within marriage are the three ways Peter describes our, our life of submission. First, if you'll, you'll read with me again, just verses 13 to 17, here we'll see Peter describe for us our submission to human authorities. It says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice that word, be subject or, or submit. Uh, maybe as a working definition for our time, we'll use this as a 
a definition of submission. You can write it down if you want, but here it is. Submission might be willingly, to willingly let another be responsible for you, even when you disagree. To willingly let another be responsible for you, even when you disagree. And before I go further at all in this passage of talking about submission, I do wanna mention that none of these callings Peter gives us to submit mean we need to subject ourselves to regular abuse or even a crime that has been committed to you. I wanna be sensitive to that tonight, that those of you in the room that, have, that are suffering abuse, that a crime has been committed against you, I think it's even in our text that God has established authorities there in verse 14, do you see that? He's established authorities around us to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And a friend, I would just invite you to immediately seek refuge, seek help if you're going through abuse. If a crime has been committed, call 911. Go to the authorities God has put around you. He's put them there for your safety. But Peter's scope here is not meant to include all of the ways that could go or all the caveats to it. His, his scope here is to talk about the Christian's submission to authorities as a citizen, as a citizen under authority or under government. He first mentions the emperor. Do you see it there in verse 13? Be subject to the emperor. He again mentions it in verse 17. You'll notice that he says, honor the emperor. Now this is Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero is not a Republican or a Democrat. You would not have voted for him. He's a godless man with a horrible morality. He he, he has no regard for human life and he despises Christians. And Peter is saying, submit to this man. God has placed him in authority over you. And whether it's the emperor on a national level or the governors on a local level, he even mentions that what's to typify their conduct is honor not defiance or disrespect. And I look at this and I might say, Peter, why? Do you know what Nero is like? What he's done to Christians, what his mindset is? And, And here's Peter's answer to the question, why? Because to do this is like Jesus. To do this is for Jesus. In verse 16, he describes for us, I think in a way how this is like Jesus. Notice verse 16, it says, live as people who are free. Meaning if you know Christ this morning, friends, you are free. You are free from any other human authority in your life. He says that you're free. You're free from Nero, he says to his original audience. And then he says this, but you are are servants of God. You are bound to God. And here's the thing, in God's authority, he says, submit to Nero. In God's authority, he says, submit to the guy you're free from because it is like Jesus to do so. Jesus was the freest of all of of humanity. No one gets freer than Jesus. And yet he found himself pinned down, nailed to a cross. And he's saying to Christians, live like Jesus. Though you're free, use it to submit to authorities around you. And Jesus is the the highest of all beings, and yet he became the lowest and, and served the most from the bottom up. How does all of this apply? 
Friends, we can image Christ to a world that doesn't know him by submitting to the government and human authorities around us. We actually witness to the character of Christ by doing that. Verse 15 mentions this. He says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, if you'll notice it there, what, what does it say the results are? Do you see it? You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Friends, foolish accusations came against this original audience. Foolish accusations will come against you. Christians are lawless people. Christians are those who want to revolt against the government of Christians, followed by their own rules, their own laws, their own way of doing it. And yet when those foolish accusations are made of us, that Christians are lawless people and belligerent citizens, when, when actually taking a closer look upon Christians' lives, none of those accusations should be true. Instead, those mouths running their mouths with those foolish accusations, they're actually silenced. Those mouths are shut when they see our good conduct and our good citizenship. And friends, you know what happens when mouths are shut? Ears start to open. And they start to wonder why Christians are the best citizens this nation has. That's what Peter is describing the life of a Christian under authority should look like. Christians, we should be the best citizens that a nation could have. And the world, when they watch that and they see that, their ears start to be perked and they start to ask questions now. Instead of accusations, it's questions. Why do Christians live like this? Why are they happily in love with their Jesus and then happily willing to serve and submit and obey? I wanna ask a question for you. Where is it hard for you to submit to the human authorities around you? We could ask it this way. What institutions has God placed around you, has God placed over you? That it's an opportunity in those realms, what the, to those institutions God's placed around you, you could show off the life-giving character of Christ too. How about your summer job you'll go back to? That might be a place for you to be the best employee that that, that organization has ever seen. How about even your campus administrators? Those that are in the administration of the campuses here that are represented in this room, where they look around and some of the best students they have are these strange Christians. One of the best campus clubs and groups that the, the, the academic institution has is the Christian Fellowship on campus. And when foolish accusations come against your club, they're just actually not true. And those accusations are silenced and ears start to open as to why. How about even our government and our president? Believe me, if you had Nero as your, as your leader, you'd, you'd automatically say, not my emperor, right? He was neither Democrat, I mean, Democrat and Republican. Nero was, a, was an evil man. And Peter's saying, show Nero, Christians, you're the best citizens he has. More than a, a submission to human authority, Peter moves next to the idea of workers being subject and submissive to their masters, even the unjust ones. And we see it here in verse 18 to 20, and I'll read it for you, also including verse 25. Follow with me as I read 18 to 20 and then verse 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And now verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you notice how he mentions what credit is it if you deserve the, the suffering you get because you've done something wrong? It's actually credit to you if you show respect and honor when you suffer unjustly from that master, from that boss, from that supervisor. And I, again, would ask Peter, why? Why are you telling me that I need to suffer unjustly under, under an unjust supervisor or an unjust boss or an unjust employer? And his answer is, did you notice it? This is a gracious thing, meaning this is like Jesus too. This is the grace of Christ on display. Twice in verse 19, Sorry, once in verse 19, once in verse 20, he mentions the phrase, this is a gracious thing. Friends, this thing of submission is about grace. Know that that boss, that supervisor does not deserve you to submit to them. It's grace. You're showing off the grace of Christ. Maybe to put it this way, if Jesus, the one we follow, is our suffering servant, if our leader is a suffering servant, why would it be that his followers are not two suffering servants? He didn't revile back, he endured. So friends, we don't revile back, we endure when we suffer unjustly. And remember the power for Jesus to do it is our power as well. We entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. When we suffer, friends, we image Christ as we are not vilifying in return, as we are not criticizing our supervisor in return, when we are not threatening and complaining when we suffer injustice. Notice again, the results of this submission. As we saw in the first portion, the stunning, beautiful results global results, powerful results, disciple-making results of Jesus' submission, there are two results when you and I endure unjust suffering as we are workers, employers, employees, I mean. And it's right here in verse 25. Do you see it here? Here's the results. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, shepherd and overseer of your souls. That word for overseer, could be supervisor. You were once a straying sheep and you returned to the spiritual super supervisor of your soul. That's what Jesus' submission did for you. Friend, what, what could your submission at work this summer do for your supervisor? You realize your supervisor has a supervisor to their soul and your supervisor this summer, he might be he, she might be a godless person, one who does not know Christ. 
and how Christ, the means Christ might use to return them to the supervisor they've been straying from, the supervisor of their soul, Jesus Christ, might be because he's placed you, man or woman, Christian man or woman tonight, under their care as their as working for them this summer and your submission, your willingness to serve and be respectful, even when suffering, that display of Christ-likeness could return them to the supervisor of their soul. What are the ways you and I are tempted even to speak disrespectfully of the human authorities put around you, even when you suffer under them? Remember, if Jesus didn't suffer, friends, we don't meet God. And I know I was so convicted this morning, and I know just from the sounds of your mm-hmm that I heard around me, you were convicted too when you heard Lincoln preach this morning. As he said things like this, friend, you are set apart by God, so live like it. I don't know if you remember Lincoln saying that. He also described for us that we are to live differently so that the world sees us. Peter moved from that concept and what he meant by that is our submission. Friend, when the, when the world is defiant to leaders, Christians submit. When the world will not endure what is unjust, Christians endure it. And when the world criticizes authority, Christians show respect. Friend, if you really wanna be radically counter-cultural, submit. If you really wanna be radically counter-cultural to, a, to a, a world that does not know God, endure injustice. That's what Peter says to his listeners, to his readers, and it's what he says to all Christians. Martin Luther had a quote, it's there at the top of your outline. It says this, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Friend, Christ has set you free. And in our freedom, we represent Jesus by saying to those around us, what can I do to serve? How can I show respect? How can I show honor and obedience? Peter, uh, lastly, then moves on to honor within marriage. Honor within marriage, and it's in verses uh, one to seven there of chapter three, kind of at the bottom of our text tonight. Let me read it for you again. He says, likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do what is good and do not fear anything that is frightening. 
Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, Peter here takes the bookends, verse 1 and verse 7, and addresses even by name, wives and husbands. And so both units of a marriage are here and are addressed, husbands in verse 7 and wives really beginning in verse 1 down to verse 6. In in the Roman world uh, of Peter's original audience here, women had little dignity, if any. And they were definitely not seen as co-equals or co-anything with men or their husbands. But do you see how Jesus' example and the gospel turns this around? Notice, we'll we'll address what he says to, to husbands first. Uh, Verse seven, if you look at it again, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And here's here's how he's asking them to do that. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Here's his reason. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This is stunning to be said in the first century. In this culture, again, women are not co anything with men. And now he's saying this grace of life that you've got in Christ, this undeserved forgiving kindness of God, the mercies of God to you husbands, women are co-heirs with you in that. They're not inferior heirs. They aren't without inheritance. Men, they are co-heirs with you. And so live with them in an understanding way. He says, show honor to them. He used the same word for the emperor. Honor the emperor, honor your wives. Women are co-heirs with men, men and women, co-heirs together of God's grace. And so show them dignity, serve them, honor them. Disrespect then is incompatible with Jesus. And disrespect in a marriage from husband to a wife is incompatible with the Christian life. He addresses women then in verse one down to verse six. And again, our, our working definition, if you will, is willingly, here for wives, willingly let your husband be responsible for you, even when you disagree. And notice here, Peter's not saying anything he hasn't been saying all along. This shows the character of Christ. And namely here, he's speaking to, to, to wives, right, in verse one, You see it so that even if some, meaning some husbands who do not obey the word may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Most likely he's addressing wives here who have seen Jesus and loved him, repented and put faith in Christ, but their husbands have not. And so they live in a marriage with a husband who could care less about, maybe them care less about their God, care less about their Christian faith, care less about Christ. And rather than give them the cold shoulder or or show distance from their husband, they say, live and show the character of Christ to your unbelieving husband. Show respect, show honor to him because this is how Christ wooed and this is how Christ won the world. And, And, the wife, wives he's speaking to here, 
how, how your husband is going to be wooed and won to Christ is to show off the character of Christ to him and your respectful and good conduct toward him. He compares this approach, do you notice it, to, to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, if you see it down here in, in verse five and six, it says this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves with this precious, gracious, inward spirit towards their husbands. It even mentions there in verse six, Sarah and Abraham, do you see that? And it says at the end of verse six, and you are her children if you do good and you approach your husband this way. Uh, many of you might not be familiar with Abraham and Sarah, but I put a portion of Genesis there in your packet as well. If you turn there, here's I think what Peter is having us look at when he brings up Abraham and Sarah. I wanna read for you Genesis 11, 29 and 30, and then a couple of verses from chapter 12. It's right there in your packet. It says, Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Back in Genesis was back in the beginning. And God looked at his ruined world, his wounded world, his sinful world, his rebellious world. And he says, I want to restore and I want to redeem and I want to transform and change the world. And the Lord said, I have to start somewhere. I'm going to start with a marriage. And he started with Abram and with Sarai, whose names became Abraham and Sarah. But notice what it mentioned about Sarah. She's barren. She's in her 90s. She has no kids. She's never had kids. And he says to this couple, through you, I'm not only going to give you a child, I'm going to make you a great nation. As many as the stars are in the sky, that's how many kids I'm gonna give you, and through them, I'm gonna change the world. And how he says it here is, he's going to bless all of the, do you see it there? Families of the earth. And now Peter is writing to elect exiles, he's writing to families of the earth. Do you see it here? And he addresses the marriages of these families of the earth. And he wants to see the blessing of God come to these families of Gentiles and of Asia Minor and Cappadocia and Bithynia. He wants to see the blessing of God come to families of the earth, just like he promised to Abraham and to Sarah. And he doesn't appeal here to the patriarch Abraham and say, you are the sons of Abraham if you do this. No, he dignifies the women and he says to them, you aren't just sons of Abraham, you are daughters of Sarah. And as you show your husband's respect and honor, it's a gracious thing, it's a precious thing, it's a beautiful thing, as you do this, the results could be, because there was, there was results of Jesus' submission. He says, wives, there could be results here that will be stunning. And husbands who right now have no regard for Christ could be undone and in turn love Jesus. And then by doing so, live out the promise that more and more families of the earth are blessed. 
And it comes through this thing he's been saying all along, the beauty of submission. I don't know what stage of life you're in. I know many of you aren't married, but I don't know about you. This has convicted me all the way through. I'm a citizen and I need to show whomever's in authority above me, whether I voted for them or not, the character of Christ, not just my opinions. I need to show off a submission of Christ. I need to show off to anyone who's an authority over me, any overseer or or boss that I have. I want to be the best employee they have, not because it's for my sake, but right here in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. It's for the Lord's sake we would show off our good conduct. And families of the earth are blessed as there is honor within marriage. And I want to look to the end here in closing. The wounds that Jesus has, the wounds that he has. It says, by his wounds, we are healed. I don't know about you, but what repulses me about maybe the abuse of authority, because doesn't it just kind of irk us when we see someone who's in authority, the one who's given us the rules? They don't seem like they want to follow it themselves. And what repulses us about the abuse of authority is that they think they're above the law. Lawgiver, you better not think you're above the law, right? Jesus is different. Jesus does not live above the command to submit. Jesus gave us the command to submit, and guess what? He's first in line to go down to earth and to submit himself. Jesus first lived out the life he expects of us. And that's why Jesus is compelling. That's why we follow him. And friends, his wounds heal us so that our respect and our honor might be used to heal the people around us. Would you take this time and pray with me? Lord God, we praise you for the stunning grace you showed us that you would leave your throne of power, leave your throne of authority and stoop down all the way down through the cross into a grave. You submitted all the way. And God, we praise you for it. And we wanna live a life the world would notice Christ through us. And Lord, we know it comes through our submission and our character of respect. God, would you make us a people that look like you and act like you and even suffer like you. In your name we pray, amen.